Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm great. How's it going? Going well. We're we're halfway through the fantasy season. We've got some teams that uh, are in the basement. A couple have been making some moves today. I think I made three trades today, so it's been a busy day for you me. Really? Yeah. yeah. And most of those on my team that is not going to make the playoffs. I think I'm two and what? Two and five? Yeah. I dumped Devontae Booker and Dak Prescott, a couple of young guys. And I got our guy, Will Fuller. Are you good mm-hmm. with that move? Yeah, I'm cool with that move. Absolutely. Good work. I think both those guys are – well, I, I really think every all those guys, you know, all rookies, obviously, I think they're all kind of gaining value. Booker has a chance to to take more carries from Anderson, so he could he could really gain some value, but I'm still good with that deal anyway. I thought he looked good this week too, and he had uh, he had more carries – or more – I'm not sure if he had more carries, but he had more snaps than Anderson this year, although it was close this week. Right. He's on the rise for sure. Another guy on the rise – in, in the fantasy community is our guest today. We've got a Rotoviz writer, Josh Hermsmeyer. Matt, I, I don't know. You're not much of a metrics guy. Is that fair to say? No, that's not fair to say. I mean, I was pretty close with Casey Joyner, consider him a bud. I always go to Football Outsiders, Pro Football Weekly, you know, for non-fantasy metrics. But, I mean, in terms of scouting and things, I'm a metrics guy. Okay. All right. That's a tool. Right. That's that's kind of where I am. I'm a believer for sure. But these guys and, and Josh included, we're going to get to hear from him in a second. These guys are creating their own metrics and and it's not just crazy stuff that that they're just pulling out of, you know, out of thin air. It's it's information and numbers that are actually useful for fantasy players and for NFL fans. So it's uh, these guys are all way smarter than me. And Josh certainly is. So I'm it's a excited. low bar. It is. It is. <laughs> I'm I'm excited to learn from him. Josh, welcome to the show. How are you? Guys, I'm doing really well. I appreciate the invite. Uh, Dynasty is by far my favorite format, and uh, everyone I know listens to this, so super excited to be on. Nice. Well, we're, we're glad to have you for sure, and, and we're going to jump right in. It, it, kind of your baby this year, and anybody who has checked out your work at Rotoviz knows this, is Air Yard. I just want you to kind of give us the intro to what Air Yards is and, and how you've been using it in your fantasy leagues this year. Sure. So Air Yards has been around forever. Uh, Elias Sports Bureau, which is the statistician for the NFL, has been tracking incomplete passes. Uh, they chart it just like they do receptions, tackles, uh, re- you know, uh, reception yards, all the rest. It just hasn't been available. And really the NFL hasn't publicized that they, they publish the information at all. And, um, and then on top of that, the way people have looked at air yards, at least as far as I know, uh, certainly publicly, I don't know what teams are doing, but they've looked at it from the point of view of the quarterback, you know, how, what do air yards look like from the quarterback's perspective? But if you turn that around and you look at it from the point of view of the target of the receiver, um, it turns out that it becomes an almost perfect measure of intent of like what the quarterback and the coaching staff wanted to do. And they wanted those receivers to get those air yards, those incomplete air yards, those completed air yards. And so you can say with a high degree of certainty from game to game and season to season, if you look at the things like R squared and other metrics that kind of say, is this a stable metric? Does this predict itself? Um, You can say that this is something you can really hang your hat on and say, Hey, and it makes, 
it makes a certain amount of sense too, because to win in the NFL, you want to get your best players the ball. And that isn't really going to change too terribly much from game to game, week to week and season to season. And so this uh, adding incomplete air yards to yak and completed air yards really gives you a complete picture of a receiver's production profile in the NFL. So I'm curious, how far do you take it? I mean, can you, I know you're more interested in fantasy, but I wonder if you could do it from a cornerback standpoint or a quarterback standpoint, running back, tight ends. I mean, can you use it at every position or offense as a whole, rank them from 1 to 32, defenses as a whole from 1 to 32? It's super interesting. I looked at it from the team perspective. I've looked at it from the quarterback, and I've looked at it from the wide receiver. I have not looked at it from a defense's perspective because I just got my hands on the data right before the season starts. Um, Whether it's useful for real-life football, I submitted an abstract to uh, the MIT Sloan Conference, which was uh, happily accepted. So I'll be working on a paper that kind of goes into how it might help with quality assurance guys, kind of cut through some of the noise. You have to do a little bit less charting to kind of rank receiving options in an offense heading into a game. Say the last three games, you could say, hey, here are their top three options. You look at their air yards per target or A dot, you can say, here's on average where they're targeting them. And, um, and that can be kind of useful, I think, from just a quality assurance perspective, kind of cut through a little bit of the noise and do a little less charting. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned A dot. You know, that's something I think, I guess, Mike Clay kind of made popular when he was at PFF. So how similar is our air yards versus A dot? So they're conceptually, they're absolutely identical. Um, okay. The difference is, is that Pro Football Focus does their own charting of things like incomplete passes, and Elias has their own statisticians on site doing the charting. So the difference is really in between, you know, it's kind of human error, right? This guy thinks it was a, a 14-yard incomplete pass, and PFF thinks maybe it was 16-yard incomplete pass. So minuscule. Yeah, it's not. It's. It, I think if you if you look at the correlation between the two, it's point nine nine. Okay. So you've you've been tracking this throughout the season, writing some great content for RotoViz, and I know a lot of your articles have been focused on players to buy or or players to sell based on what you're seeing when looking at air yards. So what is it that you're looking for, and I, I guess how can fantasy owners use this data? So just kind of going back to intent, um, maybe this is kind of a, um, a controversial thing to say, but I, I don't really put too much stock into a lot of the advanced metrics. I certainly don't put too much stock into um, efficiency metrics. Um, they really don't predict future performance very well. They're really good at telling you what happened, right? It's really good at telling you that Brock Osweiler had you know, 3.2 yards per attempt uh, last night, and it was absolutely terrible, but that doesn't tell you too terribly much about how he's going to perform moving forward. And the things that really do tell you that are predictive, that help you play fantasy better, um, are, are things that have to do with volume, uh, the things that have to do with how many carries a guy gets, how many snaps he's getting. And then air yards is kind of another step in that direction. We had targets, but we didn't know the total amount of yards they were throwing at these guys until I found this charting information. And, and, and really that's that idea of being able to better measure volume allows us to better predict things like fantasy points, uh, especially early in the season when things are shaken out. All right, Josh, I'm already taking a ton of notes on this. So <laughs> you're, you're already living up to, to our expectations. 
in your in your preseason bold predictions article, one of the ones you nailed was Kenny Britt just coming back to life. And he's had a great year. He's on pace for, I think, 1,200 yards, maybe more. Um, what was it that you saw to project him as having a bounce back year? And was that related to air yards as well? Sadly, I can't say he was a call that had anything to do with air yards. I hadn't yet gotten my hands on the data. Um, but in, in terms of what I saw in Kenny Britt, I just it was more of a fade of Tavon Austin. And, and kind of the numbers are kind of showing that. I don't know. He... He's lead, still leading the lead, uh, the team in targets, but if you look at you know his air yards per target, his depth of target, it's like six point eight. He's like a he's like a really good running back, you know, like David Johnson or, or or Ware for Kansas City. They're targeted on average around that part of the field, and I think you know you watch the, you watch the games, you see that he's he's kind of deployed that way on these really short uh, routes, crossers, all the rest, and and then what you would hope from that kind of player is that he gets a lot of yak and he just. He just doesn't. And so, anyway, the fade was really on Tavon Austin. And, uh, and and Kenny Britt had shown earlier in his career before his knee injury that he was had the potential to be a stud. Um, he has all the measurables you could want, athleticism, all the rest. He just needed to put it all together. And uh, I actually, another thing that I missed, this is, again, a reason why I don't want to take too much credit for Britt, I thought for sure Goff would be uh, out there throwing right now. And he just – and that hasn't come to pass either. So, you know, sometimes you're right for the wrong reasons. And, and really you, you got to chalk that up to just being wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like it, we may, we may see golf sooner than later, you know, if, if some of these practice reports are to be believed. So who are some of the top, we'll go back to the air yards for just a moment. Who are some of the top performers this year, uh, judging by that metric? Well, from week one, Terrell Pryor just stood out as a guy who, it became very, very clear that Cleveland wanted to funnel their passing offense through. And and each week he lost a quarterback. It was insane. And so I kept going, well, you know, so much changes in the NFL when the quarterback changes. You know, he might find another target he likes better. The coaches might decide to run different schemes, routes, all the rest, route combinations. So it's hard to say, okay, yeah, week one, he was definitely the main focal point of the passing offense. He'll definitely be that week too. But it just kept on showing itself that he was the guy um, and I think, you know, you saw that the offense sputtered pretty badly. Well, I mean, gosh, they lost their quarterback again, but it sputtered badly with his hamstring. He just wasn't, he wasn't getting separation. He wasn't looking like the player he was the first six weeks. Um, and, uh, I think you saw the results on the field. So he was one guy that air yards picked out. Um, other thing, other guys that air yards really likes, and it just kind of, it, it just kind of reminds you not to lose track of the big pictures. People like Brandon Marshall. They haven't put up perhaps the fantasy points you might want, but they're getting all of the targets in the world. They're getting all of the errors in the world. They're basically being thrown at all the time. And so the bet is that eventually, you know, regression will catch up to them. The luck will catch up to them. They'll catch their share of balls more than their share maybe and put up some crooked numbers. So that's kind of the analysis that goes into air yards. How about a guy like Mike Evans? I'm kind of the only show in town. Oh, man, he is. It's incredible, right? He's a stud. Yeah, I mean, he's got – so he's almost getting half of his team's air yards. It, it's wow. insane. So they, they target him deep. They target, target him all over the field. Um, he's, he's catching at a, at a fairly pedestrian rate, 55% catch rate. But uh, he also has like a 31% target share. So they just – I mean, those are all just stud metrics. And, uh, you know – 
we see it. We see it almost every other week. He's almost like Julio Jones. You know, he's just going to put up a really big number just because he's getting so much opportunity. I mentioned at the beginning of the show making this trade for Will Fuller. What about a guy like him who who sees a lot of deep targets? His catch percentage probably isn't great with with some of his drops. Does Air Yards like Fuller? Loves him. Loves him to death. Yeah. Um, in fact, the first two weeks of the season, we we were looking at it collectively at Rotoviz and going, man, he he's going to drink Nuke's milkshake. I mean, the guy is getting lots of targets. He's getting lots of air yards. Like, th- this is going to be bad. How can, how can Hopkins be the player we wanted him to be, we drafted him to be, when this, this kid is getting so much opportunity in this offense? And, uh, and really, I think it's, it's kind of shown it. It was interesting in the last game how they started using him on some shorter routes, um, I thought maybe to try and get away from those corners those Denver corners, but uh, um, they certainly want to make him a big part of that offense. And I think it's a reason to not really fade Hopkins, but it's certainly a reason to maybe temper expectations that he won't be a, a wide receiver one again. All right, let's bounce around a little bit. When you're building your fantasy teams, specifically dynasty teams, what are your some of your favorite metrics to use and to track? So I thought about this question, and I think uh, the the best way to answer it is that it depends on who I'm playing. Um, it's all about my opponents. If I'm if I'm playing against some really sharp people, industry folks, I'm going to almost entirely fade like any kind of metrics, any kind of efficiency numbers. In fact, it, if it's like been decided that a guy is good, you know, hashtag good, I'm I'm going to fade him, and I'm going to go after the guys that are hashtag bad. And the reason why is because I think especially with experts, I think we're all really a little too overconfident about who's actually good. Um, I mean, look at Todd Gurley. He's obviously great at football. He's also obviously terrible this year in fantasy. I don't think that the two really go hand in hand for fantasy purposes. And so when I'm playing smart, sharp guys, that's kind of my approach. And then when I'm playing other folks just in my league, um, you know, then maybe I'll, I'll try and use uh, some more advanced metrics like air yards and all the rest and, uh, and just try and gain whatever edge I can. But I think the, the big thing in fantasy is to try and outplay your opponents because we're all just trying to be the least wrong. Do you apply that from a dynasty perspective to Treadwell and Coleman and Shepard and incoming rookies? I mean, or is it too – is that too tough because if they play at a small school, they should get more, you know, competition so much different. Yeah, I think, I don't think anyone's figured out how to properly project guys out of college. I mean, sure. there, are cer- there are certain guys every, every year that we all kind of get on. And, and I think uh, um, a couple of guys you named uh, Coleman was definitely our baby at Rotoviz. Um, prior year, I think everyone agreed that Amari Cooper was the guy. Um but beyond those really top guys, it's super hard uh, to pinpoint who's going to be good. And I think what we've moved away from, I think, as a community is that they have to have to be big, they have to be tall, they have to be fast. I don't think any of those things are really too terribly true. I think that the key is they have to be able to get open. And they have to – and you could do that in all sorts of different ways. You've got guys like Diggs who can do it the way he's been doing it. You've got guys like Hopkins who isn't too terribly athletic and or tall – who, who gets open and, and gets a lot of volume. And uh, I think what it comes down to is the people who know best uh, about what they have are the coaches. And so the best proxy we have for talent is how much volume a guy is getting on the football field. Um, and you just have to trust that these guys 
who are who are trying to get the, their playmakers the ball know who should be getting the ball. Um, and I think that's a big reason why volume is as predictive of fantasy points as it is. We've talked a lot about the wide receiver position. Let's move over to running backs. Have you found, or whether through your own discovery or, or just a, a metric that you trust, any anything that can give us some idea of future success when it comes to the running back position? Not really. I was kind of touching on this with Todd Gurley. I mean, you, it, so much of it is to do with uh, game scripts. So much of it is to do with uh, the other 10 guys on offense. So much of it is to do with what the defense is doing. I don't think there's a, a really good number you can point to other than total number of carries or touches um, that is at all predictive of, of what's going to happen uh, for a particular running back. Um, if you look at Lamar Miller, though, I mean, we all uh, at Rotovis predicted he was going to get a large share of the carries, and he has, and he's produced okay. And I, I, I think that, you know, we were kind of right, but we were also kind of wrong. I mean, there were a lot of people going into the season saying, well, you know, there's a reason why Miami didn't give him, you know, 20 carries a game. There has to be something about this guy that that, that made them think he couldn't handle it. Um, I don't know if that has been disproved or not, uh, because he certainly seemed to handle the load up until last night um, pretty well. But he also didn't really, you know, set the world on fire. So, um, yeah, short answer to your question with running backs. Again, what I try and do is fade the guys people think are good um, and pick up guys like Matt Jones and going into this season, guys like uh, uh, Hill, guys like um, uh, San Diego running back, I'm blanking, Gordon. Gordon, sure. Yeah, Gordon, you know, guys who just everyone had collectively just decided were were not good, Uh, usually based on yards per carry, which is – I mean, it's so much to do with the line. It's so much to do with what the defense is doing. It's so much to do with things that are beyond the control or the talent of the running back. I just think it's uh, – I think we get misled sometimes. I know Christopher Harris is a big non-believer in yards per carry stat. I – what do you think, Ryan? I'm kind of on the fence about that, and that's, this isn't even talking fantasy. I mean, a guy like Jamal Charles over his career has a ridiculous yards per carry stat. And I think that's very indicative of who he's been, you know, that or Le'Veon Bell, his rookie year, his yards per carry was low, and then he lost weight, and it went up like a whole yard. You know, like, I'm kind of a believer in yards per carry, unless it's a – some can certainly be manufactured, though. You know, like, Adrian Peterson had nowhere to run for the first two weeks until he got hurt and averaged, like, one yard per carry. We know he's better than that. Or Matt Jones or somebody behind a great line – gets inflated a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we hear pretty often from those guys in the metrics community that yards per carry is not uh, not predictive, not something we should uh-huh. trust or rely on. Josh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Is that is that your feeling, and if so, why? Well, I think the, the example of Jamal Charles is absolutely true. I mean, he's very, very good, but I think you see that he's good in other places. I don't think that... I think the yards per carry is maybe picking up on something that was already obvious, that he was really good. He puts up points all the time. You can look at other things that are predictive and say, and kind of walk back the cat and say, well, and he has a good yards per carry. But take someone like Jeremy Hill, his rookie year, he was one of the most efficient running backs in the NFL, and everyone thought he was awesome. And then last year, he was one of the least efficient running backs in the NFL, and now he's bad. And I I just think... I just think when you see something like that, that yo-yoing, when you know 
Hill's skill set is probably relatively stable. I mean, maybe he even got a little better year over year from his rookie to his sophomore season. Um, so it, it, you really have to be careful is all I mean when you're looking at efficiency metrics. There may be some signal there, but there's an awful lot of noise. While we're on running back, so how can you equate their air yards findings to comparing Gio Bernard and Duke Johnson and Danny Woodhead and Shane Vereen, you know, receiving backs? It's tough uh, because okay. because really I, they're mostly extended handoffs that they're getting, right? Their air yards sometimes are negative because um, their passes are, are caught behind the line of scrimmage. And so everything's yak. And really, Air Yards doesn't have much to say about the, those type of players. But people like Spencer Ware, who are running wide receiver routes, and people like David Johnson, who are doing the same. Matt Forkay, Le'Veon Bell, yeah. Yeah, it does have something to say about those guys. And, and the way you can pick those guys out is by their depth of target, by their Air Yards per target. And if you see something over four or five, you know right then and there that those guys are actually running routes beyond the line of scrimmage in a way that isn't too – dissimilar from wide receivers or tight ends. Or like a DeAnthony Thomas or Reggie sure. Bush in his prime or somebody like that. Yeah, I think when you see those yeah. guys, then you can say, okay, let's let's do some air yards analysis on there on the passing game for those guys. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about market share. And this is a fairly new term uh, in, in the fantasy community. So first I'd like you just to explain to our listeners, what market share is, if that's, if that's a new term for them. And then also why that's so important to you. I know you've already talked about uh, the importance of opportunity and, and targets and carries. So what is market share and, and why do you feel that's so important? Well, I mean, it's really just another way of adjusting total volume to kind of match what the offense is doing. So if you look at like something like total receiving yards per game on a team level, or even air yards per game on a team level, it, it really jumps all over the place. And that's because coaches are smart and they go into a game with a plan to maybe do the opposite of what they've been known to do. They're breaking tendencies. They're doing different things each week. But the percentage of passing yards that they put towards a specific player remains relatively constant. Even if that total pie is shrunk, they're still targeting their best playmakers. And so that's kind of what market share does. It says what percentage of total passing offense goes to a guy. So, so a, a good, uh, you know, the, the Marshalls and Evans and Hopkins, maybe Hopkins last year. What's a, what's a percentage we would expect to see from those guys? I mean, really great market shares are in the 30% range and on a specific game basis, you might see as high as 40% if they're really featured um, Julio Jones does that once in a while <laughs> with his incredible games. Was Hopkins off the chart for the first two months of the season last year? Wasn't he like the most targeted guy in history or something along those lines? Yeah, yeah. He just got all the volume in the world. And, and you know, I think he single-handedly kind of brought along the idea that a bad quarterback can kind of support a number one wide receiver. And I just think this year we're kind of – I don't know if we're finding out, but I think maybe we're we're, we're thinking perhaps that's not correct uh, with what's going on with Osweiler, with what, what went on with Alshon Jeffrey and uh, and uh, A Rob and Bortles problems over there. I think we're we're kind of having to rethink whether or not um, even bad QBs uh, can support really good wide receivers with just pure volume. 
the interesting one there is Bortles and A-Rob because, you know, Jeffrey saw a change at quarterback, or at least through much of the season he has, and uh, and obviously Hopkins did as well. I mean, Bortles, is, Bortles was not good last year. He was not good uh, his rookie year, especially if you are looking at those efficiency numbers, which, you, you know, even if you don't totally trust those, they're out there and, and they don't look good for Bortles. So I don't know. Have you have you seen anything that's changed for Robinson or for Bortles this season? I mean, I, I think with quarterbacks, you see them do what they do enough that uh, there's an eyeball test that, that maybe a lot of metrics guys would poo-poo. But I think we all kind of – I mean, I, I saw a gif of, of, uh, of Bortles with his hand down holding the ball to the ground. I mean, things like that with his mechanics and and then the results that you see on the field where he's overthrowing his wide receivers by a mile, his accuracy just looks terrible. Um, I think that for things like that, I think you could put more weight on efficiency metrics. Again, it's, it's all just a balancing act. I just think uh, going blindly into things and saying, well, his yards per target was X then he must be good is is misguided. But I think we all have a pretty good understanding of who the, who the good quarterbacks are in the league. They're fairly consistent year over year, and it usually shows up in their fantasy stats. Uh, the one thing that is really stable, at least relatively speaking, is fantasy points per game for quarterbacks. Um, it's the most stable thing that there is. So, you know, at the end of the season, you look at who are the guys that uh, are at the top of your list um, end of season, the chances are most of those guys are going to be top of the list the next season. Um, it's a big reason why your, your, your brother-in-law wins your league. Because it's not uh, it's not that difficult actually to to predict uh, who's going to be a good quarterback each year. All right, let's move over to rookies, and I know you you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier. But when you're evaluating those incoming rookies, what are some key metrics you use? Some key numbers you look at? Does it go back to that market share, the percentage of yards or catches that they had for their teams, or touchdowns that they had? Is it you know is it John Moore's breakout age that he he relies on so much. Is is there any one number, one metric that you like to use for incoming rookies? No, I think uh, I think market share um, is helpful. You know how much, what percentage of their offense were they in college? I think is a big is a big deal um, because it helps adjust for whether or not again you have a, a prolific offense or a less prolific offense. What you're really trying to find out is was he the key component in that offense? Um, so that market share helps you identify those guys. And then, yeah, if he was the younger, the better, obviously, uh, you know, if, if you're young and you're producing against guys a year and a half, two years older than you, it means you're physically mature. It means you're mentally probably ahead of the game. And those are guys you want to target. Um, then there's the athletic side. We, uh, uh, Kevin Cole, a uh, writer at Rotoviz, um, did some analysis and he found that actually for wide receivers, athleticism kind of writ large uh, is not a good predictor of success in the NFL. And I think, you know, it, it, it's something that a lot of people talk about. Once you get to the NFL, there are different things that separate you. Um, you know, the, the base level of athleticism, once you get there is probably sufficient. Um, and, and then from there, it's these other factors that, that, that help you become good or great. So what are some, some general trends? I think staying on top of those trends is, is necessary to have that success in, in fantasy football, whether we're talking about data or, or, you know, things you can see on the field or, or, and changes that NFL teams are making. One thing that we've talked about quite a bit on here is a few, several years ago, I guess almost 10 years ago now, that change from a running back heavy team building strategy to, to wide receiver focus, which we see now. Would you say that 
that the the metrics supported that supported owners making that tra- that change to wide receivers i mean what what was it data wise that finally made us say okay maybe we shouldn't be taking three running backs in the first three rounds or was it data or did people just get smarter yeah I mean, this is, you know like I, I think it's a good question and this year it, you know it's it's really interesting how it's been playing out you have a few guys running backs who everyone thought would be great who are being great and then you guys got like got like where you got uh, uh, Jai and other people in the top 10 who no one thought would be great um, but if you're asking me like wh- why I espouse zero RB or, or whatever you might call being wide receiver heavy. Um, I did a, a study in the off season trying to understand injury rates um, between the wide receiver and uh, running back positions. And what I found was that in the first five rounds players drafted um, what you found was that running backs got injured far more often than the general population of running backs and that wide receivers got injured far less often than the general population of wide receivers. And there was this huge gulf between the two of them, especially in serious injury rates, which is kind of arbitrary, but we defined it as four games lost uh, during a season. Um, and, and really it was, it was, it found, it turned out that running backs are three and a half times more likely to get seriously injured than a wide receiver among those chosen in the first five rounds of your fantasy draft. And that's just such a high risk premium that it doesn't make a, a ton of sense to draft those kind of guys with a high draft capital. Um, it's much better to take a safer pick and then take a shot on those JHIEs, those Spencer wares later in your draft and hope they hit. You know, a great way not to get injured, especially when you're shaving. <laughs> <laughs> shaving scary stuff i mean those blades are sharp <laughs> and, and, and i have real sense of skin i used to use a, a razor all the time and now i've gone to electric but since we got hooked up with harry's i've been using theirs and it's been phenomenal and it's really smooth now i don't leave with bumps and bruises and all kinds of cuts and beat up so compared to all the other solutions and razors i've tried they're far and away the best Big razor companies have always made a small change. They come out with the newest version and raising their already high prices. Unlike those guys, Harry's does not believe in upcharging, which is why they made their razors even better, and they're keeping prices exactly the same. Harry's five-blade razors now include softer flex hinge for more comfortable glide, trimmer blade for hard-to-reach places, lubricating strip, Textured handle for more control when it's wet. I've noticed that. I, I shave in the shower. That's very helpful. Still two bucks per blade compared to four or more when you pay at the drugstores. But what's really cool, they explained this to me on the phone, is they own a factory in Germany that they've been making these forever. It's almost like a BMW plant. You know what I mean? It, it, and where they make the blades, they, they produce high-quality razors themselves and sell them online for half the price. Harry is so confident in the quality of the blades, they'll send you their popular free trial set, which comes with a razor, five-blade cartridge, and shaving gel. Get your free trial set when you subscribe. Just pay $3 for the shipping. Plus, I have a special offer for my listeners. Enter the code DYNASTY at the checkout, and you get a post-shave balm that feels wonderful. And they just throw that on right on top of your order. Enter the code DYNASTY at checkout. Get the post-shave balm. Go to harrys.com and enter the code DYNASTY at checkout 
Claim your free trial set and post-shades balms. That's harrys.com. I highly recommend. Let's stick with the trends topic. Josh, do you see any any trends in the in the near future that you know could drastically change our mindset again? Going back to this shift from running back to wide receiver, is there is there anything like that you know on the horizon? I don't I don't think so. And the reason why I say that is because you know injury rates are are, are pretty much are what they are. And and running backs, the more touches you get. The, the higher the likelihood that you get injured. And, and uh, the NFL has come to realize this. The, they've uh, gone to a lot of two running back uh, by committee systems. Uh, poor folks like Green Bay have been caught without hardly any running backs on their roster. They haven't used a wide receiver out of the backfield. I think, uh, you know, injuries being what they are, it, it's a secular trend. It's not something that's going to change. And my, my personal opinion is we need to change the scoring in fantasy football to account for that. I think we need to really pump up the scoring for running backs. Um, how you do that, what the exact numbers are, uh, I don't exactly know, but I think it probably has to do something with uh, points per carry, um, some fraction of a point per carry, um, to ch- make up for the fact that you're likely going to lose your bell cow back if you even have one at some point in the season. And so he needs to score a lot when you do have him healthy and starting. I mean, that's a, a really interesting conversation, I think, just that, again, that shift from running back to wide receiver. And over the years, people have asked me, you know, why did that happen? And I pointed to a lot of the things that you've mentioned, the the popularity of running back by committee in across the NFL, the growth of PPR leagues in fantasy and in dynasty specifically. Another one is the flexible options in fantasy leagues, you know, Years ago, I don't know, Josh, how long how long you've been playing fantasy, but years ago you had to start two or three running backs, and so many leagues now only require one one running back starter, and then uh, you know several flex options. So that's another thing, and and I point to to the injuries, which um, you know I didn't I didn't have the data like you have and like you've shared with us today. So I'm glad you you pointed that out, and I'm going to have to go back and and take a look at your work with that because it does support again just kind of that eyeball test or or the gut feeling that I've had and as far as the point per carry I think that's you know that's something that Scott Fish has tried to do in the uh, in the Scott Fish Bowl the the great redraft league he runs I haven't looked at the numbers and I don't know if he has as far as has that balanced out the scoring I know he worked hard trying to uh, you know trying to do that trying to balance between the positions Um, but I think you're probably right a point per carry some version of that is is probably the way to go. What are some metrics that you don't really believe in, or, or maybe you just don't find very useful, but are popular? Is it is it that yard per carry, or is it something else? And, and along those lines, if I can kind of expand on the question, and I don't want you to throw anyone under the bus, but do you think like football outsiders versus pro football focus versus Casey Joyner has like his good blocking metrics? Or, are there any of those that really stand out as, I'm not sure this really is helpful or, wow, this one's pretty cool. So I think all stats, if they're properly labeled, have lots of usefulness. And I had a really eye-opening conversation with a guy named Danny Ticito on Twitter the other day. And he used to work for Football Outsiders. He writes for football guys. He has a master's in sports psychology, and and he's done a lot of statistical analysis. So he's a really sharp guy, taken really seriously, and he's been around a long time. 
And I was talking with him and I said, you know, Danny, I'm, I'm frustrated that people keep using these metrics that are really just descriptive. They describe what happened in the past and, and they're trying to use them to say what might happen when they're trying to predict the future. And I'm like, I think it's like, it's, it, it's carnival palm reading. It's, it's, it's not true. And, uh, and he said, you know, almost all advanced statistics were made to try and describe what happened and why and not to try and predict the future. And when he said that, it kind of opened my eyes that, you know, these guys haven't been, they've been trying to tell the story of the season. They haven't been trying to predict the future for fantasy footballers or, or teams or, or sports betters. And so there's this huge opportunity for folks if they want to go out there and really analyze the data and figure out which ones are useful for predicting the future. And, and that's something I've really been trying to do this year is to look at even all the old stats, things that football outsiders have put out there and see if they're even useful. Like QBR, for instance, ESPN has put so much money into QBR. And right now, Blaine Gabbert, who hasn't been a starter for two or three weeks, is the 11th ranked quarterback. Um, and, and so I don't even know that QBR is being descriptive. Um, and then I went ahead and did a study and I looked at, is it predictive? Does it predict itself year over year? And it only predicts itself by like 15%, 16%. So one way of interpreting that is saying, if you think QBR is capturing the talent or skill of a player, then only 15% of that player's talent or skill carries over from season to season. And I just think intuitively as a fan, as people who maybe don't get as into numbers as I do, that's a little disgusting. It's it, it makes you distrust numbers altogether. And so my big passion, my big thing is let's, let's label these things correctly. Let's call them what they are. This thing is meant to describe what happened, but this thing over here is meant to try and help you predict what's going to happen and maybe help you win your fantasy league. Yeah. With ESPN, it seems like they were kind of shoving that QBR, you know, down our throat. Oh, you should have been in the meetings. <laughs> <laughs> I can, imagine. I can yeah, imagine. Every time I go up there, let's talk about QBR. You know, I think the good news, though, is is I have seen several mentions from ESPN, from their Twitter accounts, about air yards. So just kind of circling back to that, Josh, what is it that has suddenly brought this stat to the forefront, you know, both on Rotoviz and, and even larger platforms like ESPN? I can't speak to ESPN. I, I know some folks have pointed out to me that they were using it. But again, it's been around for a long time. Again, it was a measurement used for quarterbacks. The the novel thing I did was kind of use it with wide receivers. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't presume that anyone at ESPN was using it because of anything I've done. Again, it's been around for a long time. All right, well, let's wrap up today. If you sit through an entire NFL game, you're probably going to hear one of the announcers, one of the commentators at some point just kind of bash metrics over, you know, the the use of metrics and whether it's Chip Kelly's coaching strategy, coaching style, or, or just some of the, some of the sites that are out there. Uh, It seems like kind of that old school mentality of, you know, we don't need metrics. They're not important. Let's, you know, let's watch tape and see what's happening on the field. So when you hear that argument, how do you respond? Well, all I would respond is that um, I understand it. I think I understand it in that sometimes folks that embrace metrics come off like they know the truth and they've just discovered it and now they're going to tell you what the truth is. When re- in reality, 
all metrics are is a shortcut to doing what they already do, in my opinion. I mean, those, those, those quality control guys, they go through there and they chart everything. They chart formations and they chart tendencies and then they deliver that information to the coaching staff and then they put together a game plan. And, and really, analytics can just be thought of as a way of shortcutting that process, especially with the new data we're getting from Zebra that uh, the folks at NFL uh, Next Gen Stats has with those chips in the um, – and the shoulder pads, I mean, you can get things like uh, separation at catch point. You can get the actual trace of the route. So you can put together uh, route combinations really quickly and kind of understand what the game plan was really, really quickly. And I think that's the promise of metrics. First and foremost, that shouldn't be something that anyone thinks is scary um, or that's upsetting to the actual uh, competitive balance of the league. It's what they're doing already. Um, and then on top of that, I think if you put some smart people in a room and, and give them access to all that data, I think you might actually come up with some other new and innovative ideas as well. Lots of great stuff today, Josh. Really Absolutely. appreciate your insight on on air yards and market share and and uh, all these things. I'm going to try to study up on and uh, <laughs> and help help my fantasy game. Uh, before we go today, though, just tell our listeners where they can find your work. Sure. Yeah. I write over at uh, Rotoviz and each Tuesday I drop the air yards article. Um, it's not just me writing. I give you all the data um, so you can do your own analysis. Um, and then you can also follow me at Frisco Josh on Twitter. Thanks again to Josh. And we'll be back next week with more Dynasty Blueprint. <laughs>